As I have studied the Bible, there are three fundamental facts that come quickly to my attention. Number one is we have an enemy. You don't have to read very far into the opening chapters of the book of Genesis to find out that the devil is our enemy. That in 1 Peter 5 eight he is our adversary. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And not only do we have an enemy, but likewise we learn that when we study the Bible that God is more powerful than the enemy. And that he loves us. He is on our side. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. John three sixteen and 17. And so we have an enemy, Satan, who wants to defeat us, and yet we have a God who is more powerful And who wants to save us. He loves us. And thus we are more than conquerors through His Son, Jesus the Christ. Romans 8.37 Now let's consider our enemy, the devil. Satan is very powerful, and I for one am not going to underestimate his power. And I don't want you to think this morning that I'm doing so, because he is a powerful foe. And he will attack us with at least five primary avenues. One, he comes to us through intimidation. That is, that he says you cannot overcome my power. I've got you wrapped up in my hand. I've got you wrapped around my little finger. And don't try to get loose. I am more powerful than you. And even God cannot rescue you from my clutches, this is his tactic called intimidation. But he also comes to us through the fear of deprivation. There is no need to trust in God, he says, because why? He's really not going to pay for you to follow God. In fact, it is going to cost you too much because he demands too much, and so just don't do it. It's not worth it. And then, his third attack, and that is accusation. In other words, Satan would like nothing more than to convince us that we are not worthy of being a Christian. We're not worthy to be a child of God. And I've often thought it to be interesting that Satan can make this world so appealing, and that he can make sin and participation in sin seems so innocuous that it won't bother you, he says. In fact, you don't even have to call sin, sin. You just made a mistake. And so it won't bother you if you just made a mistake. And so people follow Satan believing this lie. That, if, that it's so wonderful and entertaining that you just come follow me. That that's the only way to live. 
And he convinces a lot of people of that. And then all of a sudden a person commits sin and suffers the consequence of that sin. And thus he feels guilty and Satan delights in that as well. Well, he turns right back around and says, now look what you've done. Look what you've done. Look at what you've done. You're not worthy of God's love. And so you might as well follow me. And he comes through us through intimidation. He comes through the fear of deprivation. And he comes making accusation. Accusations. But he also comes to us through the fear of condemnation. That is, when he convinces us that God really isn't on our side, that God really doesn't love us, that he really is not so much interested in your salvation, but that he really is interested in your condemnation. There's no forgiveness forgiveness available with God. Why, don't even try to attain His forgiveness. Don't try to obtain His forgiveness. And in no way can you be forgiven. And a lot of people buy into this. Now here's the fifth avenue of attack, and that is Satan uses the fear of separation. That is, God, you cannot trust Him. You cannot trust Him. He will leave you after a while. He's not going to be with you through thick and thin. You really just cannot depend on Him. Well, Satan likes to ask questions. And as a matter of fact, if you go back to the beginning of time, you'll see when he introduces himself to Eve, he asks some questions. In Genesis 3, verse 1, Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You see, that's the question. You recall in Job 1, verse 9, Doth Job fear God for not? Satan likes to ask questions. And so I think it is right that we ask Satan some questions this morning. And if he has the right to ask questions, then surely we have the right to ask him some questions. And I want you to think about these questions. They, they come right here from our text, God's Word. And he needs to be asked these questions even though he cannot answer them. He needs to be asked these questions when he comes to us through these different methods of attack. Now go with me to Romans chapter 8, as per our reading just a few moments ago, which is a thrilling chapter. Romans chapter 8. See, for assurance in life, we can go to that chapter. If you need to have more confidence in God, you need to have that security that is found in His Son, go to Romans chapter 8. Now let's begin reading there in verse 31 once again. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? Uh, It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distrust, 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we were more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so our sermon title this morning is Five Questions That Even the Devil Cannot Answer. Did you notice the five questions in our text there just a few moments ago? These are the questions that we want to ask Satan when he tries to attack us. Number one, when Satan comes to attack us with intimidation and says you cannot overcome his power... There in verse 31, he says, What shall we then say to these things, if God be for us, who can be against us? You don't need to deal with me, Satan. You need to deal with God. That's how we would answer, right? I don't, I don't belong to him. I am his child. And you say, you have me in your clutches? Not if I am a child of God. And I have God on my side. He's interested in me and he is more powerful than you, Satan. And so if God be for us, who can be against us? You know, one thing that we learned when we studied the New Testament is this. That as a child of God, when I am attacked by the forces of evil, it's like an attack against God. And if you don't truly believe that, then go back to Acts chapter 9 and you will find that there was a man named Saul of Tarsus who later became the great Apostle Paul. But he was first an enemy of Christ and then the church of Christ, the Lord's church. In fact, he made havoc of the church according to Acts chapter 8 and he even gave his support to the stoning of that righteous man, Stephen. But notice in Acts 9 and verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined, shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now wait a minute. If you read in this chapter, verse 1 says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, and here Jesus appears to Saul of Tarsus and says, Why are you persecuting me? You see, to persecute the church of our Lord is the same as persecuting Christ himself. And so the Lord took that personally. And so when Satan tries through these various mediums and these influences that he had in this world or he has in this world to attack us of those of who are his children what do I say? What do you say? If God be for us who can be against us? The Lord's on my side. Satan had to take that up with God. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 
We read that over and over again. Jesus said, it is written, didn't he? It is written. Three times he was tempted of the devil, and each time Jesus told Satan to look at the Word of God. It is in the written Word. Here's what God said. And that, my friends, should be employed by every one of us even today. When we are attacked by the devil, when he comes to us through intimidation. Now, secondly, he will sometimes come to us and attack us through a fear of deprivation. You know, God cannot be depended upon. He will deprive you of the good things in life. And the only way that you can live a rich, rewarding life is to come and follow me. And a lot of people buy into Satan's life. But look at verse 32. When Satan says you're going to be deprived if you follow Christ, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, if it was up to Satan, he would have stopped right there at that first comma. He spared not his own son. He would put a period there. You see, he, he couldn't even be depended upon by his own son. Satan says, Satan says it's going to cost you too much to follow Christ. But yet Romans 8.32 says that our Lord through Christ freely gives us all things. Now look at Paul's logic. What Paul is saying is this. He's, he's saying if, if God was willing to give Jesus as a sacrifice for man's sin, will he not then give man everything else that he needs? Surely he will. Surely. Christ, furthermore, died for us, not while we were friends, but while we were his enemies. Romans 5, 8, that God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that favor was granted unto us. His marvelous mercy was extended toward us while we were in the enemy camp. And yet he wants to deliver us from the enemy. Now, if God was willing to do that, that is, give his son for us while we were yet enemies, then just think what God would do now that we are his children. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Did you know that in Hebrews 6 and verse 18 that it's impossible for God to lie? (laughs) Now you do know why I believe that to be true. Not just because it is there, but that really is enough. I mean, there is another reason. I'm sure that when God makes a promise that he will not lie because God made a promise, and you can read about that promise in Genesis 3, 15 and forward, that he will send Messiah, his son, who would die for our sins. He would take my place. Now, we know that through reading the gospel accounts that Jesus came to this earth and that Jesus went to the cross and that he died for our sins, So that our sins might be removed from our record. 
wiped away. Right? Now, understand this. If there was ever a promise that he was going to break, don't you know that he probably would have broke that promise of sending his only begotten son? And to allow his son to die that cruel, vicious death on the cross? That would have been a promise to make, to break. But what I'm saying is this, that it is the same thing that we're reading here in Romans 8 and verse 32, that if God was willing to let Jesus die for us, if he was willing to abide by that promise, he will keep all of the other promises that he has made to us. So when Satan comes to us with this strategy of trying to strike fear within our hearts, that serving God would deprive us of something, then verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, Jesus wants to give us all things and to prove that he gave us his life. Now, question number three. Satan will come to us, and he will use various influences and mediums to attack us. Have you ever felt attacked because you were a child of God? I mean, I have. You see, people out there in the world, people in error, want to attack you. They, they'll just, they'll, they'll start yelling at you. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You know? Stand back. But you see, Sometimes ungodly brethren would even do that. And Satan is behind that as well. He likes nothing more than to see the faithful children of God be attacked and accused of things wrongful. And so Satan tries to make accusations. And when he does, I think of Romans 8.33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. I have known of individuals who become New Testament Christians, having previously lived a life that was so wicked, abominable, and these individuals will be the first to say, yes, I have lived that kind of life. And some so-called pious Christian, even after they, that person has been forgiven, will bring up that past. And we'll begin to make accusations. You see, that's a terrible thing. That's the past. And the person who would do that is the child of the devil himself. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Look at verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified. That's our word. What does justification mean? Justification is a very legal term. Just if I had never sinned. That's the way you can remember that. That's exactly how God looks upon my life. Once I am cleansed in the blood of Christ. And the same is true to you as well. And so understand this about God. He's the only one that has the right to condemn, but he won't do it because he has justified those that are found 
in his dear son. He has forgiven us. Psalm 103, verse 12, he has, separ- he has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so God will not ever go back and bring a sin to your charge of which he has already forgiven you. Isn't that good news? It is. Somebody else who does not have the right to continue might try to bring up your past, but God does not do that. God does not do that. If it has been forgiven, it will never be brought to your charge ever again. In fact, if you stand before Christ on the day of judgment, lost, and you are God's child, I can assure you that it will not be sins that you have committed before becoming a Christian. But it will be the sins that you have committed and refused to repent after you became a child of God. That he will continue on that great day. And cause eternal separation from God the Father. Because those sins that were forgiven when you were baptized will never be brought to your charge ever, ever again. Many of us have been in the situation of setting up a mortgage loan from the bank. And by that we've made an agreement with that bank that we will uh, make the payments until that loan is then paid off. It could be a 15-year loan, and you receive copies of the, the agreement with your signature on it, as you agree. And so as you faithfully meet those payments, come 15 years later, you'll get that good news back from the bank, thanking you for being so diligent in your payments back on this mortgage. And you're going to find stamped on that original copy of the mortgage agreement that you signed that this loan is paid, that is, this loan is what? Paid in full. That's it. That's exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross and took my sins to that cross. He then says, those who become God's elect, those who become children of thee, will be paid in He took upon himself our sins. He paid our sin debt in full. And now if my sin has been paid by the blood of Jesus, and it has, and if I have appropriated that blood through obedience to the gospel, baptized into Jesus Christ, and if that blood continues to cleanse me from my sin, dear friends, I do stand condemned. Or I don't stand condemned anymore, right? And neither do you. Forgiven in the blood of Christ. Who then shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Now somebody might say, well, what if I sin again? I'm not perfect. And I don't think that either of you are perfect either by any means. I still have the weakness of the flesh. And there might be some things that I might do that is in violation to God's will. But if you repent of those things and confess them before God, the Bible says that as a child of God, you will be continually cleansed of those sins. 1 John 1.7, 1 John 1.9. It is in the blood of Christ that will continue to cleanse you. Who then shall we lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Satan has no right. 
and neither does anybody else to accuse us of anything. Now, here's the fourth question. When Satan tries to put fear in our hearts about the condemnation of God, that God really doesn't love us, that God really doesn't want us to be saved, I'm reminded of verse 34 of Romans 8. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You know, there are a lot of people who try to condemn other people. There are sometimes people who use the word hell as an expletive, uh, telling people that they can go there, condemning people to hell. But let me tell you something. Not only is that obscene language, that not ought to be uttered from our lips because my business is not seeing souls condemned to hell, but to see souls being saved from that place called hell. That's your business as well. Now, we still hear those people using that kind of language and more so on television now. More than our everyday language, it seems, in our conversations. But did you know that man has no right to condemn anybody to a devil's hell? No way. Because in Romans 8, in verse 1, that if a person is a child of God, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see what security there is in Christ. I hear this from religious people in the world talking about eternal security, that once you're saved, you're always saved. And yet a lot of these people don't know how to teach a person how to be saved in the first place. And you want eternal security, what you need to do is to be found in Christ, walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh. And then you can be for sure, be secure. But really... There is only one who has the right to condemn. If you will, go to John chapter 5, and let's just see who has the right to condemn. You see, God has given that right to someone in verse 22, when it says, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. He's given the Son that right. And then you go to verse 23, and it says, That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. And so a question might be asked, did Jesus not come to condemn the world? Not at all. I quoted it just a few moments ago there in John 3.16. For God sent not his Son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now go back to Romans 8 and verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Now keep in mind... It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that it is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who is also making intercession for us. He's not saying Christ condemns. Who is he that condemneth? No one can condemn us when you consider that Christ died for us and is risen again, and is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. But Hebrews seven twenty five tells us that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And so Jesus wants us to be saved. Make no mistake about it. But then we come to the fifth question. Five questions that the devil cannot answer. And here's question number five. 
And it has to do with this idea that God just might leave us. That you really just can't trust Him to stay with us through the thick and the thin. That is when Satan comes to us through the fear of separation. But you can't really trust God to stick with you. But that answer, but that's answered right here in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he be weary of thee, and so hate thee. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, I'm sure glad that the holidays are over? <laughs> oh, man. Because we have relatives come and stay, and I just couldn't wait until they left. Have you ever felt that? <laughs> I love them, but I have had enough of them. You know, be careful to go to someone's home and stay too long. Because your neighbor might say that it's time for you to go. Have you ever heard the, the old saying goes, you know, he looks over to the wife and he says, you know, we might ought to go to bed. These people might want to go home. Sometimes a, a husband or father needs time away from the home just for the afternoon maybe. The same is true of a wife and a mother. Needs time away from her husband and children for a little while. Sometimes a husband and a wife would like to enjoy a meal together without the children for a while, a period of time. But of course, we relish the time that we're back together. But the point is this, all of us need a break from people occasionally, even those we love, right? But dear friends, when we read the Bible and we study the Scriptures, I never get the idea that God gets tired of my company. That God never gets tired I mean, you sure have been praying a lot of this week, you know. No. You're going around singing these songs of praises to me all the time. I wish you'd just quit for a minute. No, he didn't say that. You worship too much. Can you imagine? I never read where my God gets tired of my company or your company. And I've noticed something else in this passage which is reassuring and comforting to me. And that's nothing ever, ever separates me from His love. Shall tribulation, shall that separate us? He does not say that you will not have tribulation. But He does say that when that will not separate you from the love of Christ. Will it be distress? does not say that you will will not have distress. Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. He says those things may come but. In verse 37, he says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. All these things are going to come our way. They're going to come our way. But are we more than conquerors? When it comes to those things, I hope that we are. I hope that you are. Our security is in Christ and in His cross and in His church. And I read this and I I can no longer believe in some yo-yo salvation. Where where it's up one day and down the next. Where uh, God is cutting you off one minute, not the next. His desire, your relationship, and not the next. No, not at all. He desires our company. He desires our salvation. He desires our fellowship. And so when we think about tribulation, the man who wrote this was one who truly faced it. 
I mean, you can read 2 Corinthians 11 sometime, and when you read all that he faced, you're reminded of just how easy Christianity is for us today as compared to Paul. Well, what did Paul say in the midst of all these tribulations? He says, I am more than conquerors through Christ that loved us. Look at verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My dear friends, there is no more complete, no more a complete statement in all the Bible than that statement right there. So if you and I lose our souls, and I pray that that doesn't happen, I do know one thing. It will not be because of God's part. If we lose our souls, we will go to hell loved by God. Having rejected everything He did to keep us out of that such a terrible place. But the devil wants you to believe something else. The devil has been creating these lies about God from since the beginning. And if we're not careful... We'll listen to some of his lies. And we'll believe it. But you can counter his attacks just by going to Romans chapter 8 and just ask Satan these five simple questions. And know that if you're on the Lord's side and you're doing all that you can to live according to his will, then ain't nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you're here not a Christian, can we encourage you to become one? That's one way that the devil can't have you, is to become a child of his. He has done all that he can to win you back from the Lord if you became his child. But if you haven't become his child, he's already got you. He don't want to let you go. He'll actually make you believe a lie that all you have to do is just say the sinner's prayer and be saved. But yet you can't find that in the Bible. Why? Because it didn't come from God. It came from Satan. And he wants you to believe that lie. Because he don't want you to be saved. But God, through his Son, wants you to be saved. If you believe that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're willing to make those changes in your life called repentance, and that you're willing to make that good confession that Jesus is the Christ, Put the Lord on in baptism for the remission of your sins. When you come up out of the waters of baptism, you'll be a child of God, and ain't nothing can separate you from the love of God. As long as you continue to live faithfully to His will. But if you're here as a child of God, and you haven't been living faithfully to His will, repent of that, pray that God will forgive you, where that blood of Christ continues to cleanse you. And we'll pray with you and for you as well. What will your answer be as together we stand?